Welcome to the Shutdown Fullcast. Lo and behold, if you're hearing my voice, then this, this podcast, this podcast has made it not only to college season, but into college season. We're over the wire, folks. We are, we are now the wire separating us from the safety of the offseason. No, it's live fire. What do you think a wire is for? It's to separate you from the tre- the trench from no man's land. We are, are now Kath- all. Are you Catherine Zeta-Jones in entrapment? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Sean Connery is trying to seduce me, but I think. Old are you wearing knows. a cat suit right now? I always wear a cat suit. This is the trick. But like a big fluffy fuzzy one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With a tail and everything. Mr. Mistopheles ass. Are you Tony the Tiger? You oh, what? Oh no, bitch, he's Rum Tum Tugger. Congratulations on your new bowl game, Spencer. Thank you. It'll be okay. Not great. It'll be okay. I'm so tired. (laughs) The bowl game. It's mediocre. That's what I want him to say. I love going to the middle of the desert in December and eating lots of corn and milk. And sugar. There's plenty of sugar. Don't worry. Big old milky bowl of, of... I don't know what Frosted Flakes are made of. Bran? Yeah, why didn't they call it the cereal bowl, you shitbirds? What did the Frosted Flakes bowl used to be? Oh, man, I don't know. Tony the Tiger Bowl? I'm sorry, yes. The Tony the Tiger Bowl. Because he has has formed his own separate subsidiary to sponsor this bowl. Frosted Flakes and its partner corporation have nothing to do with it. It's just Tony the Tiger. (laughs) Welcome to Tony the Tiger's sovereign citizen movement. It's Grift. He's gone completely rogue. They don't even they don't even know how to shut it down. The folks at Frosted Flakes Corp, they're they're pulling their hair out right now. Well, he saw listen, he saw Clive and Bundy and he was like, this is my moment. I'm excited for the feds to be like, can we indict a serial mascot because he's embezzling. He is doing that. It is an Arizona bowl game. A little bit of a history. You know, that. some of us saw John Junker and was like, man, we were born a decade too late, really, to get into bowl grift. Some of us saw John Junker and saw the future instead of the past. This could be, I think if I had to get a former corporate mascot to be the front for my obvious fraud of a bowl game that I used to money, launder money. You could just say bowl game. No, I'd use the Noid, right? Not Captain, Not Captain Crunch, really. No, no, no. The, the cereal thing's now going to be too obvious. I got to pivot. I got to move away from that, right? I see. So you're going to go with a mascot that hasn't been used in, I would say, at least 25 years? And the Noid had a video game, though. Oh, yeah. So did, so did the 7-Up Spy. The no- don't Wait, we know the, the Noid is already a, a villain? Game? Like, who trusts the Noid? Mm, they're going yeah. to be all over. I, th- I think Captain Crunch is better. He has a military title. Mm. Or, or if you if you don't want to go serial, go grimace because he already has a criminal in his circle. So they'll say, "Well, they didn't go hamburglar, so it's probably not him." And he can hide things in his weird body. The he, that's all money in there. That's a human man, but he's just swallowed a bunch of cash and cocaine. They'll just think, "Oh, that's WKU Big Red's cousin." WKU, remember Big Red, the only um. The only ma- mascot I know of that appeared in Italian copyright court to defend in his costume. name in costume to defend his name and image. Western. I am confident the WVU Mountaineer will have that happen one day. Too. Mm, I'm thinking that's Bulgarian court. Hey, <laughs> someplace, someplace, kind of north of the Balkans, you know. Hey, listen, man, Sicily's Sicily's fun. You don't know. It's mountainous. I think it'll be somewhere where it's settled by duel. I think that's the only mm-hmm. way you get the mountaineer to show up. Well, he yeah. better make the first shot because that second shot's going to take a minute. <laughs> Hold on! Back, 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 back. Goddamn musket. It's not musketeer. Yeah. <laughs> the week zero, we actually had football, which is thrilling. Kind of. Yeah. No, it was great. I mean... As horrifying as it was to watch there we are. Florida, Miami. There we we had the full spectrum of football. We really did. Because I joked at one point that Florida, Miami was just a warm-up for Arizona, Hawaii. And that turned out not to be a joke. Because remember, we don't tell jokes on this podcast. That actually came true. 
yeah, the first game was um, someone called it slappers only football. That was that was pretty accurate. And then the, the uh, second FBS game was rocket launchers only football. <laughs> Just nothing but big hits, man. That's all we did for Arizona Hawaii. The real the cake after the unnecessarily nutritious main course. Which could... I think slappers only is actually unfair. I think it's more proximity mines, but you get blown up by your own. I mean, that's just proximity <laughs> mines in my experience. And like, it's not like you forgot where you laid them. Ha! There we go! Fuck! Corner! Shit! Like, Miami, you put the mines on your offensive line and then you tried to walk forward. All four screens with Manny Diaz going, Damn it! Who's odd job? Like Miami stuck Jaron Williams behind five proximity mines. You know, you put <laughs> like a Klieg light behind him. Dan Mullen is kind of odd job shaped. I mean, and Dan, he is always wearing a hat. If I put, if I imagine, if I ask you to imagine Dan Mullen in a turtleneck and a very heavy blazer, does he not look like somebody who gets beat up as the minion of a Bond villain and or somebody who gets kicked in the face by Tony Jaw? I mean, he does have that look. Sure. He's a little henchy. Also, he can make noises like... He does, you know? yeah. What do you want me to do? Oh, <laughs> nice <laughs> oh, God, Invisible Tommy Gun. He does kind of have that, like, 1930s gangster. Like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Yeah. Pulls up to the bar. Milk, make it a double. <laughs> Put it in a dirty glass. Give me an egg cream. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was this Welcome was Welcome to our college football podcast which now has games to talk about. Actual games. <laughs> you mentioned Jared Williams name Jason. Jared Williams looked great, man. This is me. I'm going to be did, as positive as fine. I can. He did fine. That's a freshman. That's that is a red shirt freshman, correct? He did start against Savannah State last year, didn't we all? But that is a first-time starter against a very game defense that enjoys putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback performing brilliantly behind an offensive line that was best described as really feisty paper mache. The offensive line looked like what you might expect to see at, say, the Citadel, like an especially small military option school. Yeah. Like one of those dudes had to be like 240. Yeah, I don't think the right... The Citadel with mono, I think, is probably a fair... Yeah, I don't think that Miami's right tackle weighed more than 260 pounds. How many sacks did Florida finish with? Was ten. it 10? 10, and I think 16 tackles for loss. That's 10. That's not healthy, man. No, that's, that's too, that's too that many. It actually feels like unhealthy for both sides. Like at some point, Florida's tacklers are going to be very tired. And it's not like, it's not it's like Miami, you know, unveiled a crazy hurry up, throw the ball a ton off. They only threw the ball 30 times. So if you're telling me we'll eliminate scrambles and all that, but there were plenty of other places where he got hit on some of those 30 uh, dropbacks right, as well. Right, so they're rope doping them, but in true Miami fashion, we have lost the dope. So 30 <laughs> passes plus 10 sacks plus... So they tried to throw like 43 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I know we started off talking about Miami, and, and to say all the good things... Jaron Williams, if they can keep him upright, uh, or at least, you know, the, the rest of their schedule doesn't feature a defense, it's really going to put as much sort of stress and pressure and chaos into his life as Florida's will. If that's You hear case, that, Duke defense? Spencer's calling you out. I am definitely. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think my beloved Pitt Panthers are going to put 10 sacks worth of pressure on the Miami Hurricanes. Now, this okay, works for we'll me. we'll see what Bethune-Cookman can do. This works for me two ways, by the way. The pit super weapon, charging up even more fiercely now that I've said that. Any day now. Any day now. They're just going to go off. And in addition to that, if they only surrender half the pressure, they still give up five sacks a game. And that's, 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 a, bad. that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of punishment. On the other side of the ball, Miami, man, Trajan Bandy's awesome. Trajan Bandy and Shaq Quarterman... Oh, there's a there's a lot of those are both Crash Bandicoot characters. They are they're Crash Bandicoot characters, and they are just as bouncy and enthusiastic uh, in their pursuit of the ball carrier. Because my God, they were fun to watch. Trajan Bandy is just a battle of a corner. I don't even know what the word is. He was making he was making tackles in the run game. 
He was like recognizing plays well before they came his way. Just yeah, he was a handful. He was a mess. He hit a lot of those. Uh, he had a lot of those short tackles where Florida failed to convert. They get the ball out to Tony or they get the ball out to P Ryan and get tackled like a half a yard short. That was usually Trajan Bandy leading the way on those and absolutely sticking people. So like they were fun to watch. I know Miami fans might get slightly stressed about how that game went. And there's reasons for concern, namely your 175 pound right tackle and how they'll hold up over the course of a season. But overall, I was like, no, this there's stuff here. Like they've got a lot to work with. I don't think that. I think Miami fans probably took it in stride. I mean, it's not like they attacked Florida's band director after the game and put him in a chokehold. Um, it's not like I one didn't of actually hear beat- about this until a few minutes ago. Ryan, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's brief us, please. Like, I've only seen the sort of bare minimum about it, but um, Florida's band was heading back after the game, I assume to the buses or whatever, and, um, and oh, hold on, I'm going to pull up an actual article here. So, yeah, the band members were walking to the bus. A female Miami fan tried to cut through the group. The director went to stop that person. And when he did, somebody else grabbed him behind in a chokehold and threw him on the pavement. Sure. Bro, I've been taking MMA. Just a little, you know. I just had to do something. You got to control the situation, you know. Body position. Kumite. You know, that kind of stuff. I know a lot about it. I don't want to drop any technical stuff on you. Shit goes down in Orlando, man. Yeah. I wouldn't say I failed the police academy, mostly because I was thrown out before final exams. So. I mean, I opted to leave. It's more of a DNF. More, yeah, more of a like pending situation. I that's true. See, I, I just so, needed something else. <laughs> uh, speaking of Miami's defense, which played pretty well, um. So about four and a half yards is considered a an average rush. How many of the six Gators who carried the ball averaged better than that on the night? I, better than I what? Know this answer. Four and a half is is what he's looking for. I man, I don't think any of them did because I remember looking and seeing P Ryan average like four. Nope. There was you're one. Rem- you're, you're forgetting. You're forgetting one very one very important. Oh, the punter. Exception. The punter. <laughs> yeah, the punter. Your punter is your only above average runner. That's fine. Well, I mean, if that's how we got to do it. That's how you got to do it. Stan well, Mullen likes going for it on fourth, so this dude's going to get his carries. Can we talk about the um, the absurdity that was the last drive? Yes. Yeah. So Spence, Spencer and I have been talking about this um, m- most of the day. And I just want to walk everybody through, in case you didn't watch the game, Here's here are the exact sequence of events. So... Uh, Miami gets the ball after a just crushingly dumb in timing and in selection interception on Florida's first play after stopping Miami on downs, I believe. On it, at, During that interception or, or afterwards, they get a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for excessive celebration. Uh, wait, That's followed can, by... Can we go back? Sorry, One yeah, thing. Please. Yeah. Not to interrupt your flow. When does this drive start? At what time mark does the final Miami possession start? I want to say it starts with about four minutes left in four the game. Four and a half, I think. No, no, no. Why would I ask you the time if it were not a fascinating time? Okay, it's 4.20. That's correct. It starts Thank at 4.20. Bruh. <laughs> I apologize. <clears throat> okay, so Miami starts with the ball at the Florida 40. They uh, they rush for one y- They rush for a one-yard loss. They fumble the ball. But they recover it. But none of that counts anyway because there's a 15-yard illegal block penalty. They complete a pass for negative one yards. Uh, They have a sack fumble that is curiously recovered for a four-yard gain. There's a delay of game. There's a seven-yard sack. And now it's fourth and 34. Spencer, what happened on fourth and 34? Florida committed pass interference, thus giving Miami an automatic first down on fourth and 34. My God, that's Jane Coaston's music. It was probably pass interference well past the line to gain, though, right? Uh, no, it was behind it, where you okay, don't actually cool. have to commit that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so this has moved. Now uh, Miami has successfully moved back to the Florida 35 at this point. That's better. Um, or, sorry, the Florida 49. Um, they 
complete a pass for negative two yards. They have an incomplete pass. They get another pass interference on third and 12. This is now, at this point in the drive, they have snapped the ball. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This is, I believe, the ninth snap. They get their first offensive yards. A 12-yard pass completion. That's followed by an incomplete pass, a sack fumble that uh, Miami recovers again for a loss of two. That's the third fumble on this drive, forced and recovered, forced by Florida, recovered by Miami. There's another incomplete pass with pass interference, except that flag gets picked up, and then the last play of the game is an incomplete pass. This journey started at the Florida 40, went back to the Florida 43, went back to the Florida 35, then back to the Miami 49. And then all the way to the Florida 26 where it ended. Mm-hmm. It so, was... So can I give you the summary? Confusing. That's correct. That's 10 actual counted counted on the sheet plays for 14 yards that covered, um, yeah, something like, something like, at this point, 50 yards. <laughs> 14 yards of actual offense. Most of it gifted in the form of penalties that did not need to happen. On the upside, there was a guy named Jeremiah Moon on Florida. Jeremiah Moon! I am really excited for his tent revival tour. Y'all come on down and listen to the Reverend Moon. I had a question for our two Gators on here. Sure. On a scale of 1 to 100, how would you grade this game? With obviously 100 being the best possible game. That feels like about a 68. Maybe one. On 1 to Mm -hmm. 10? Uh, out of one to one hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just checking. But yeah, about a sixty-eight because I went back and rewatched it, and because uh, remember, football is mostly empty space. You got a fast-forward button. You can rewatch a game real fast, and a lot of this made a lot of sense. Like, all right, nobody in Florida rushed the ball particularly well, but they weren't super committed to it because the smart thing to do when you have a bunch of really good receivers and Miami is got a strong front, is to pass. And that's actually, like, when I look, Frank's missed some guys in the passing game, but they were there, and they are open. That's something that, like, yeah, you probably fix that and work on it. I'm not saying that you're going to get any kind of Baker Mayfield transformation out of Frank's because, at times, <clears throat> he will let the ball wander. He's a libertarian passer sometimes. He's just going to let it... If you love something, let it go. Yeah, it's just going to... He's going to let the market decide where the ball goes. That happens sometimes, okay? But then <laughs> Literally again, the invisible hand. <laughs> the invisible hand passing the ball downfield, which. I, man, that's what an incompletion is. <laughs> I, that's what that interception was, right? He's like, I'm going to throw it away. And the market was like, nope, son, we're putting that up for sale. They should start doing that at Michigan football games. Pass broken up by Adam Smith. I just checked. There actually is an arena league football player named Adam Smith who played at Western Kentucky. <laughs> Amazing. Arena Bowl champion. Two-time first team All-Arena in 2015 and 16. Hey, he was with the Buccaneers. What's more What's more free market than piracy? He's from Murfreesboro, but I suppose I didn't really have to tell you that. But I don't, like, looking back, there's a lot of sloppiness. And But Franks was protected pretty well in the past game. When he made mistakes, it was because he was leaving pockets that were pretty clean. He wasn't really stepping up. There were guys open. Receivers... Receivers did big things. I mean, Tony had a huge play. Josh Hammond had a huge play. I don't feel that bad about it, especially when I consider what the defense could look like, considering how they looked in a game where they got 10 sacks on a bad line. But if they're again, if if they're if they're only putting up half that kind of production, that's still enough. So I don't I I feel really good about that. And in addition to that, we have a punter who runs like he's going to be tri- <laughs> We have a punter who can apparently tear ass faster than any of our <laughs> running backs. And, and we have good running backs. So I don't, yeah, no, I don't feel that bad. 68 out of 100. One, sh- one shy of 69. They, they got to earn that. Ryan, how, how you feel? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a nice game, no. I'll give it 75 because it could have been like, it's right in like, that game could have been much better for Florida. They were looking, they looked in control early. It looked like, okay, they're going to win this in like pretty comfortable fashion, whatever. It also could have been much worse because the only reason 
that Florida is even in a position to force Miami's hand on the last two drives of the game is because Miami misses an easy field goal, like a like a 28-yarder or something like that, after they run their own fake, which should have come back for holding, except Florida lit, lit the, uh, I think it was the holder. Uh, they lit him up out of bounds, or maybe it was the kicker, I don't remember who, to extend that drive. And Florida also got gifted extremely good field position, which led to a touchdown on a muffed Miami punt. So, like, there was... The potential for all things was was there. This could have... there. It's not that hard to say this could have been a 17-20 point Florida win or a 17 point Florida loss. Like, all of those things are in there, so I feel very comfortable being like, okay, you can have like a straight C. I'm not going to give you anything stronger or weaker than that. So do you want to know how you two homers compare to the objective cold uh, hand of reason as far sure. as game grades here? Sure. Yep, yep. I think because, you know, if there's one thing people say about Spencer and I, it's that we're too up on Florida. Yeah, so you, I really, yeah. I, I'm really excited to have Many us taken down that about you. So ESPN's FPI actually gives game scores for each game. It's just, it's the game control thing that the playoff committee mm-hmm. um, mangles sometimes. Um, and people make jokes about FBI, but it, it performs fine. It gave the Gators an 85. Okay. Not bad. So, I mean, I think you look at you look at the box. Miami rec- uh, recovered 80% of the fumbles. Right. That's not sustainable. Like, uh, to, to uh, rip off an old Bill C stat, they, there were uh, – Eight defenders got their hands on passes. Miami got two interceptions. Florida got none. You would expect more like one each, something like that. Like Florida, one of Florida's led to a Miami touchdown. Yeah, like Miami. It feels insane to say about <laughs> a game in which so much went wrong for them, but they got most of the bounces. You know, they this should that- have been a pretty comfortable Florida win. I I would like to say this is this game I think was a perfect summation of why Florida fans don't generally want to play Miami. And Miami Miami fans love to say like, "Oh, you're scared, you're scared." And they're not wrong, but we're it's not like scared in a, "Oh no, we might lose way." It's scared of in a like, "Oh no, what if the sewer line backs up?" kind of way. You're not it's like it's just going to be unpleasant no matter the outcome. No matter how much it ends up costing, whether we have to tear down the house or move or whether it's like relatively it only takes a week to fix, the sewer line still backed up. That's the Florida Miami game. It's always just going to be a backed up sewer line. It's it's not that you're scared of the hurricanes. It's scared it's that you're scared of Gators versus Hurricanes. Right? Yes. Yes. The series itself. Yes. Yeah. So that's heartening because, you know, we are notoriously sunshine pumpers when it comes to <laughs> football. So 85. See, see right. once, once again, you're, you're, uh, you're too down on your team. We once should, again. We should be more enthusiastic, he says, weeks before another upset by Kentucky. Okay, cool. It's okay. Spencer's, Spencer's truly a Hawaii fan anyway. Thanks, thanks to uh, Magma McDonald. Magma McDonald. If you want to get your family Mag-Mac. out of this prison, Magma, you're going to have to shoot me with this tennis ball gun. Okay. Winter's going to be here before you know it. And let's face it, you're not going to chop enough firewood this year. Oh, you'll say you will, but then college football season will get rolling and you'll spend all day watching Saturday games. And then you're too tired on Sunday to go chop firewood to keep your family warm when the snows come. Fortunately, Homefield Apparel is here to help you and the people you love from paying for your costly fuel mistake. They've got crewnecks, hoodies, baseball tees, all in only the best and comfiest fabrics. And they're not just warm, they're cool looking. Homefield digs through the crates of college football's graphics archives to design clothes way more distinctive and interesting than you'll find at the campus bookstore. You can get 20% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com when you use the offer code FULLCAST. Unlike building a giant pile of firewood for the winter, Shopping at Homefield has zero risk of accidental finger severing. Go to homefieldapparel.com, put in the code FULLCAST, save 20%, and defeat winter with the most excellent college apparel on earth. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Amanda. We get to tell everyone about the new pod, Eater's Digest. Eater's Digest, that is right, our brand new podcast. It is available now. 
It's everything you need to know about the world of food every week with a little help from the biggest names in the industry and food journalists from the Eater Newsroom. We're going to talk about everything from the worst things that diners do in restaurants to fake meat. We're going to talk about food delivery tech. We are going to argue a lot about how to best behave in restaurants. Oh, yeah. Big time. So many things. I mean, there's nothing we can't touch. Food and politics? Food and politics, maybe. Yes, food and politics comes up. Yep. It might make you laugh. It might make you think. It might even make you hungry, Daniel. Um, So subscribe to Eater's Digest for free today on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Last night, Ryan and I spent maybe a little too much time trying to put Cole McDonald, Hawaii's charismatic young quarterback with the dreads, in an American Gladiators type situation that I've decided is some kind of American Gladiators dystopian drama where he has to rescue his family from super hell jail by performing basic American Gladiators tasks. Kind of taken, taken, but with um, big, big uh, foam Q-tips. Yeah. And some running man thrown in there. Taken with a Q. We were joking that that's (laughs) like a, that's a big, we were joking that it was a warm up, not a warm up. Arizona, Arizona, Hawaii rule. Cole McDonald, I believe, threw five touchdowns and four interceptions. Perfect line. A perfectly balanced four and four. No, oh, the Thanos line. Wow. You know, he, <laughs> he gave you the. Uh, that's that's isn't that the that's a Wendy's combo or something, right? The four for four. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, Cole McDonald was going to keep you even. All right, y'all. He's going to take you out of the game and bring you back in. But a joy to watch, and Hawaii still runs like an old school run and shoot, so they're hitting like insane like go routes and these massive comeback routes that they just kind of, you know, feel out in the middle of the field, and occasionally they give the ball to a gigantic 260-pound running back on draw plays, which is hilarious because it's always like, ha, gotcha, said the rhino. Holly, I think you are one of the most foremost experts on Pac-12 after dark. Mm -hmm. How would how did this stack up to the legacy of that sainted hashtag? Well, it was it's, it was a little bit puzzling to have a Pac-12 after dark that kicks off in full daylight uh, and finishes in near full daylight. Uh, but yeah, this this game that this game had everything. It was oh Arizona's going to get boat raced. Oh Arizona was just sleepy and they've caught up to their body clock confusion. Oh no, everyone on both sides might be very bad, and that's even better. Oh no, they're both just about the same amount of bad, which is not all that bad, but hey, Arizona, what happens to your schedule when you go home? Nothing bad, I bet. Ooh. Ooh. That, that's my emotional bouncy ball. This was something that we were discussing uh, in our Slack before this, but this was really bad for Arizona in ways that I don't think I fully realized, right? Not last night, no, not till I looked at the schedule today. Yeah. Cause I thought, oh, losing on the island. That's completely explicable. Because Hawaii typically performs very well at home. And then uh Bud and, and, and Jason and Ryan, they, they learnt me up on why this was actually super bad for Arizona. Yeah, like coming into the year, you're going for six wins. That's it. And we talked about it a little bit, how the early part of the season, um, I think Alex was on here talking about how like go for 5-0 and oh, and then just try to cling and get that last win. Well, that's off the table now because one of your three or four likeliest wins, you should have gotten your ass kicked. You, you got pretty lucky to lose by a touchdown. Yeah, and the rest of the schedule... The rest of the schedule, we have, uh, okay, you'll be favored against uh, Northern Arizona, Texas Tech at home, and Oregon State at home. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You got to host Utah. You got to host Washington. Uh, And you you could lose all of your road games. And then there's UCLA. Who the fuck knows? Uh, This could be a four-win or three-win team. Can we agree that they still will probably unexpectedly just light the fuck out of somebody who, who, who on paper you'd be like, wait, what? Let's Oregon lost. Oregon lost by thirty. No, that's to Arizona. Yeah, Utah's rolling in at ten and zero, and then they lose to Arizona. <laughs> Utah's so gassed right now too, because they are now Lee Corso's pick. They are now everyone's like momentum pick for a possible playoff slot they are now everyone's favorite pick for a 
Pac-12 championship. And I feel like that irrational exuberance has now hit the point where nothing makes more sense than playing a piss-poor Arizona team that just wails up out of nowhere and clobbers them to destroy well, Ari- their hopes. Arizona's your cousin who ruins Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, Who's going to puke on so the turkey? Is- <laughs> and so is Arizona State. That's the best part. <laughs> That's where they spent Thanksgiving together. They're just, they're just like the inconveniently timed arrest twins, right? Like, yeah. we were going to yeah. make graduation on time, but somebody had to blow vape smoke in the cop's face. <laughs> the um, My favorite Arizona stat of the day, did we see the one that Reddit CFB tweeted by chance? No. no. So can you guess which Power 5 team has lost to the most non-Power 5 teams in the playoff era? Is it Arizona? Very close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> no. <laughs> number one is Kansas with seven. Okay. Right. Number two is Arizona with six. Wow. Ahead of, you know, Illinois. Rutgers. Rutgers. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the thing That's... about Arizona. And, and Arizona Waz- Wazoo has lost to, like, multiple FCS teams <laughs> and is still behind. But yeah, but those always, te- those always are the harbinger of a really good season for them, right? It's as if Washington <laughs> State actually forgets how to play football, goes into the game, and is immediately reminded, right? Like they're the am- oh right, yeah. They're the, they're the amnesiac football team, <laughs> right? Like where, where did I, where am I? What am I waking up to? Ta- tattoos all over their body. Throw ball down. What? what? Yeah. They do the thing from the boxing movie where it's like the ninth round. You gotta cut me. Except they do it in round one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're just we're going to the hotel. It's not even fight day. I gotta I gotta bleed to feel cut it. Me! <laughs> you gotta cut. we just got off the fucking plane cut me i said um I, th- my favorite stat from this game actually is jason who is the current leader in uh fbs in passer rating <laughs> it's my beautiful blonde dreadlocked state tattooed cole mcdonald who got benched <laughs> through four picks and he is still your number one quarterback in the country because his, his passes do not hit the ground is the key. <laughs> he completed 71%, which is awesome. And if you factor his interceptions, it completed like I was going to say, his completion percentage was actually much higher. <laughs> yeah. He keeps the ball clean. That's what matters most. <laughs> his interceptions, sublime, by the way, because... You would think if you would throw, hard. if you think you would, th- yeah, you think if you would throw four picks, that would be mm, misread, mm, maybe a tipped <laughs> ball or two, maybe you know just a great play by a TB. Receiver runs a wrong route. Sure, sure, especially yeah, in the there system. Was, there was one tip that went against him. Yeah, but there were also a couple dropped picks. There was one where he hit a quarterback in the helmet. He's awesome. I love him. He's one of the most college football players of all time. Nick, he he has rocketed up the people's Heisman list. Yeah, absolutely. I hope he gets his doctorate and st- sticks around forever. Yeah, Nick Rolovich, if you're listening to this, don't bench this young man. We need no. him. Or or do. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Let him stay for eight years. The NCAA can't afford a flight to Hawaii. You're fine. Three out of the four picks he threw to complete the thought directly at the defensive back. I mean, like between the one and and the zero, right? Just like right in the middle. Just an amazing like a fucking challenge. <laughs> he's he's Patrick Swayze's character in point break, one hundred percent. Into the waves, bro. Bodie would throw that. Yeah. Adore him. Adore that and I adore that Khalil Tate who now appears to be fully mobile and ready to uh, show us and dazzle us with the talent that he displayed in the 2017 season, all for a possible four and eight Arizona team. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, baby, get it. Let's get, let's get our Sisyphus on. Sisyphus. Khalil Tate had 600 total Sisyphus. yards of offense in a 72 to 48 loss to Oregon state. Yeah. Headlines that might happen. That might be something you read. That's that's, that's also people's Heisman behavior. We it's... saw <laughs> we saw one of the most important uh, unimportant games of the year. Basically, we're gonna we're gonna look back on that and feel so honored that we watched this game. Right? Like we like <laughs> I can't believe that we watched the president and a future Nobel Prize winner face off. 
as QBs. The first man on Mars versus our first international president, Cole McDonald. I just love that in the first eight hours of FBS action of 2019, we got the complete extremes of the college football experience, right? Like the ugliest offensive game possible and the ugliest defensive game possible. Yeah, some people thought that when I said Florida uh, and Miami should open the season every year just to remind us what we've been missing, some people thought that I meant that sarcastically. No. No. Absolutely not. This is what you think I'd rather watch Vandy, South Carolina? You think we'd rather watch like decent football? Absolutely not. Get that shit out of my face. The game-saving tackle uh, for Hawaii made by Manly Williams. You probably already know that if you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you don't. Here are some additional Manly Williams facts. One, his nickname is Pumbaa, which means it's entirely (laughs) possible after stopping Arizona from winning this game, he launched into Hakuna Matata. And I really hope he did. It means no worries. Big old pig fart. (laughs) Two, he has an uncle named Manly. He has an uncle Manly uncle that is somebody Manly. in his family Damn. And who, also, who also played at the University of Hawaii. Three. His name was Uncle Manly at the time. <laughs> Three. He has an older brother. He's Manly. Remember, his older brother, Lance. We we play this game. Damn. Some, we, we play this game sometimes. We played it before with a corn dog and tater and i forget what else but if you are out there and you have a relative with the christian name of uncle please let us know yeah i know you're out there uncle manly and the student's brother lance damn i've been naming i've been naming children wrong should we should we talk about our our other project for the season yeah Yeah, why not Okay, so some of you are already playing the bold predictions game. Um, Hawaii winning meant that if you had Hawaii gets a Pac-12 a victory over Pac-12 team, congratulations, you've got your one point for that. Uh, but we are separately at Banner Society. Eight of us are putting together basically a an emotional investment that we will individually make for the season and track over the course of the season. Uh, We're probably going to have this out, well, whatever I say will be off by at least a week, so let's say tomorrow. Christmas. And let's let's hope that that works in our favor. It won't. It won't be. Um, So yeah, uh, Holly, let's start with yours because it is an interesting choice that you've decided to put your heart into. I used to have this thing, let's back up for a second and let's talk about picking... (laughs) Hello, hello, shutdown, full cat. We acknowledge you, y'all. We we're, we are recording we're about to talk it. Of, Listen, we're we recording at night cats. for the first time this season, and he is online. He is yeah. alive and online. Uh, he's usually very sleepy when we record in the off season in the middle of the afternoon. And I tried to bribe him with treats in the pre-show to keep quiet, and he housed them all immediately and just ran in here and started hollering again. I mean, it doesn't work with Spencer. Why would it work with this? Cat? Oh, I was talking about Spencer. Okay, so no, let those cats holler. <laughs> um, so I we've had versions of this discussion before, and they usually pertain to the SEC West. But I every year for you know the decade or more that I sat in the ballroom of SEC media days, like it would bother me just just picking Alabama, you know, to win because there's there's no way out of this quagmire, right? Like either either Bama wins, and you were correct. Or you pick someone else and it's like, oh, you're just trying to be cute because Bama's going to win. And heading into a season that looks, if anything, chalkier than last season, which as we've previously discussed was the chalkiest chalk, chalk, chalk season up until what the second quarter of the national title game. Uh, it, it kind of felt the same. So I, I started to do what I usually do in these situations. And I'm just picking new new people to win out of boredom. Uh, Georgia is boring. And Kentucky has eight home games. And I would very much like for Kentucky to win the SEC East. I feel like there are. I was inspired to do this when I went to look at Kentucky's schedule on Kentucky's uh, official athletics website and saw that they had already recorded the team uh, having a win. That win was in their spring game. It Like they did it all out. It says UK versus University of Kentucky. Win 64 to 10. 
And I'm like, man, I I like that energy. I like your, anyway, they open with Toledo. So this may, the the good news is I'll be, I'll be in or out of this in a hurry uh, in six days or five days by the time you listen to this because they open with Toledo. Oh, see, I'm excited for them to lose to Toledo and that fuels them. Oh God, if they lose to Toledo and then go like undefeated in conference play, man. Man, put that in my veins. Their draw, uh, their draws out of the West are Arkansas and Mississippi State. Uh, they get Florida at home. They go to Georgia. They get Tennessee at home, uh, which not like that's going to matter. They get Louisville at home. Uh, I think at Missouri at home. I I really just like for Kentucky to. I'm looking forward to another a return to the lobster pot years of the SEC East. And I kind of just want Kentucky to ankle bite their way to the top because, Oh, Jesus Christ. Like save me from having to say literally anything about Georgia football. That's descriptive. It's like, Oh, let me, how do I, how do I describe these flat front, no iron khakis? You mean Jake, you mean Jake Fromm? Man, listen, more like Jake Fromm office Depot. Anyway, that, that's that's mine. I, I have started to flail about and make, because I don't feel like there's any real virtue, especially in these incredibly chalky times we live in. There is no virtue in saying, oh, Georgia and Alabama are going to be in Atlanta in December. Yeah, probably. But God, in the meantime, isn't it more fun to root for something that would be interesting? Kentucky A&M SEC Championship game. <laughs> Yeah, picking Georgia Alabama is sort of like being the oncologist who has all the tough cases. Like your 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 prediction rate is great. You're not having fun. No. Yeah, it looks like I'm right again. But, You're gonna die. Like to what to what possible benefit as I often say to young Alex Kirshner, to what possible benefit? Like who benefits if I'm sitting here picking Alabama and Georgia? Who cares? I don't mind being wrong. And I don't really have anything particularly hard in my heart against University of Georgia. I just want things to be different. Hey, I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, host of The Vergecast. We've been revamping The Vergecast more and more lately, and we're coming out with episodes twice a week, sometimes even a third bonus episode. On Tuesdays, I talk to influential people around the world of tech, like Microsoft founder Bill Gates and other tech execs like the founder of Lime Scooters, the CEO of Beyond Meat. We've also been talking to a lot of reporters and academics about the major pressing policy issues in tech, like Facebook's content moderation, they're not doing great, YouTube's harassment plan, or lack thereof, and whether or not the government should break up Amazon, which... Maybe it should. And then every Friday, I sit down with executive editor Dieter Bone and Paul Miller for our chat show. We cover the latest in tech news and product reviews. We bring in our other reporters from around the Verge. That show is a party. You should listen to it. You can hear all that and more if you subscribe to the Vergecast wherever you get your podcast. We'd love for you to listen and join us. So again, subscribe to the Vergecast wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jason Del Rey, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Land of the Giants. In it, we examine the most powerful tech companies of our time. Season one is called The Rise of Amazon. It's about how Jeff Bezos turned what was just an online bookseller into one of the biggest companies in the world and how it transformed the way we shop, live, and work. We'll explore how Amazon Prime is the key to the company's success and how it's something you'll never quit. We'll see what happens when Amazon builds a warehouse in a small Kansas town and then also what happens when it decides to leave. And we'll ask, why is Amazon building microwaves powered by Alexa? And what is with all the robots it's building? And of course, we'll tackle the biggest question of our time. Is Amazon too big, too powerful? Land of the Giants from Recode and the Vox Media Podcast Network. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Listen and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Um, Spencer, yours is not necessarily different, or at least not wildly different. Nope, nope. I just want to preface this by saying I am on Team Texas with 10 wins, okay? And have been on it for a long time, because it's been very good to me. I believe it won me a chicken bet one year, and it has become my favorite running joke. That Texas, every single year they play football, will win exactly 10 games. On the other hand, there's Texas A&M. All right, our SEC brethren who have decided that the approach to playing football is to spend more money publicly than anyone else. That's cute, by the way, because the actual approach to winning is to spend more money everywhere, publicly and extremely privately. 
if you catch my drift. Now, Texas A&M and Texas both projected to have pretty good seasons. And that's why I would like to go ahead and just Riverside both of those. Because I think at least, I think they will be ex- both be expensive disappointments. My favorite kind of thing. Because there's nothing more Texan than going, Yeehaw, we're going to spend a lot of money on this. And in football, especially college football, that doesn't always work. So... What I'm gonna... Does dis- does disappointment look like the same thing for both? T- like, how are you? What qualifies as disappointment for each of them? Oh, we can hit this pretty easily, right? Because okay. I think what passes for disappointment for Texas A and M after dropping um, is that seventy million dollars on on Jimbo? Pro- probably more. Who can you can even keep track? It's of seventy mil guaranteed. It's more. Is it more? It's seventy over ten, or is it seventy five? It's seventy five. I'm pretty sure. It's a lot of money. It's enough that it's enough that anything less than a national title in the first what five years, six years, six would be a long time. Mm. If you want, if you want a particularly overheated hot tub of expectation, let's fast forward to if Jimbo makes it to year six without winning a serious title of some sort. That would be that'd be real bad. And there's a lot of evidence, by the way, that A&M will uh, leave this season with something less than a title and something more like disappointment. Because in the 21st century, since the year 2000, they've only won double-digit games once. Once! That'd be 11-2 and two in 2012. That particular saga required a generational talent at quarterback, at least at college, Johnny Manziel. And a coach who just lost to Hawaii. Yeah, we bring it full circle here, don't we? We do. So, disappointment being the norm at AM, and with everyone going, oh man, they got Kellen Mond, Jimbo's got this all figured out. I see no reason to think any of those things are true, both given history and the fact that they play a very difficult schedule, where losing three games seems very reasonable. In fact, with that schedule, Every year, losing three games seems extremely reasonable. And that's before we mention, they play Clemson again this year. So, yeah. A&M, totally easy to come in at something that feels less like less like success and more like disappointment, even with what would objectively be a good season with this schedule. And that's before you consider, I don't know how much money y'all sank into this thing. I know you wanted the biggest pool in the neighborhood, but, you know... Sorry, sinkholes got a mind of their own. You could think of it as a really big pool that goes all the way down to the aquifer. A pool with a personality. Yeah. Of its own. A surprise pool. Yeah. A surprise. What's better than that, y'all? Sudden pool. The Lord has gifted you a pool. <laughs> hey, y'all, now we can go fracking. <laughs> oh, man, maybe that's how Hugh Freeze heard his back. They don't call it unnatural gas, do they? Hugh Freeze heard his back fracking. Please don't, please don't use the word hole that close to you, Freeze. <laughs> you did so much say Why? hole. <laughs> Shut your freeze hole, Ryan. Let me tell you a little bit about the hole in my heart. Ugh. All right, we're gonna move on to Jason's. Oh, in Texas, by the way. Oh, please, like they're already there with te- they're already there with Tom Herman. They're there with anybody who runs Texas football, right? If Tom Herman wins ten games again, right? If they, or if they go ten and two. That could still be disappointment for them because they'd be like, oh, that's Heisman winner Sam Ellinger right there. Should have done better than that. Should have made the playoff with that. Yeah. You see what the Aggies are doing? They won nine games. <laughs> they went nine and three. I like I like that your prediction really is, is less like you're down on Texas and Texas A&M and more you've given yourself a lot of reason to be an LSU fan this season. I, that and this, that and the poison of expectation and money, we're already there. I'm already right. I just have to wait. I just have I'm to wait. I'm already right. I'm oh, wait. So right Bun- bundle this with an economy on the brink of collapse and Texas and Texas A&M boosters that no longer can get the buyout money together. Whose economy is that? Or as the dollar collapses, they're like now they're funneling like trillions of dollars into into their fr- right. into their programs. Right. That's how Boris Johnson becomes the new Texas head coach. <laughs> My He's favorite part of this is like, like objectively, Texas is like this is like a nine and three team. 
That's what all the numbers say. But people are putting them in the playoff. So (laughs) (laughs) the disappointment is baked in. It's right there. Right. Uh, This is going to be a fun one for Spencer to follow because I think it's going to cash. Because, no. You think both both will be? I think A&M, I think that the expectations are not high enough this year for it it to cash. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, (laughs) A&M, that's a seven or eight win team. On paper, but right. does the Aggie brain acknowledge paper? No, Absolutely that's fi- that's, not. That's, that, a, that's fiat that's currency. That's fiat currency. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Aggie fans, like reasonable ones online. Yes, there are uh, at least uh, four. Uh, they say like, yeah, if we go to a bowl with this schedule, fine. You know, but there's other Aggies as well. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, All right, we'll remember. We'll check in after they lose to Auburn or something. No, no. Remember, we frame this up. November 16th versus South Carolina on Military Appreciation Day. <laughs> the most holy day of all. That's that's when this all unravels in a hideous 11-8 loss to South Carolina. Um, Jason, your, your storyline you're going to be pouring your heart into. So this one has a couple... Uh, 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 What's the word? Tributaries that feed into it? Sure. When, yeah. when, yeah. when the little rivers make a big river. So yep. let's go back to 2014. Yep. All right. When uh, uh, ESPN SEC bias hollering became a, a real thing, right? SEC network, they're hijacking the playoff. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. This became a thing because of Florida State fans who saw their undefeated team slipping in the polls. Danny Cannell's, you know, he's leading an insurgency. Um, so on and so forth. The SEC that's, network. That's that's doctor neurologist Danny Cannell. Yeah. Uh, uh, now there's the Bond villain, Danny Cannell. <laughs> so the SEC network is 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 hijacking football because SEC teams are getting into better games than they deserve. Now, flash forward to 2019, ESPN just launched another conference network, didn't they? The ACC network. So let's see if. Um, Let's cut right to it. Let's see if we can get a four or five loss team into a New Year's Six Bowl from the ACC in the first year of ESPN owning an ACC network. And then let's see if we keep the same energy that we did back when the SEC network uh, was allegedly running things in 2014. So here's how it goes. In this year's New Year's Six setup, there are very, very few at-large spots because the conference ties, once you take once you uh, factor in the two games that are playoff games this time around, you have basically only one at-large spot left over. There's going to be a lot of top 12 teams who don't have spots in New Year's Six games, basically. The ACC sets up to have by far the funniest spot, uh, the spot they're guaranteed, assuming Clemson makes the playoff, which is basically the safest assumption on the board, because coming into the season, the, the, the ACC team expected to win the most games was Miami with a win total over under. It got as high as 9.5 if you wanted to take the under. Uh, let's go ahead and cut that down to nine. Maybe even a little lower if you're, you know, if you got major concerns about that offensive line or whatever. The point is, maybe it's Miami, maybe it's Virginia Tech, uh, maybe it's Virginia, maybe it's even Syracuse. You're going to have like a four loss team right there make ranked like. 23rd or something and even if they're nine and three they got to go to charlotte to lose to clemson to become a four loss team that team gets an orange bowl bid very likely at the expense of you know you could have a team rank like seventh or eighth or ninth miss out and have to go to the the you know citrus bowl or whatever because of this terrible acc team it gets better so there's also a citrus rule where if the orange, blah, 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 the orange bowl has certain stipulations that can lead to an ACC team taking the Big Ten spot in the citrus bowl. So now you could have yet another five loss ACC team stealing a spot from yet another top 15 team and kicking, you know, a Big Ten team down to, you play out the ramifications, a Big Ten team falls down to one of the Big Ten's worst bowls, which is the uh, the Red Box, right? This is the only bowl broadcast on Fox. So now, in the first year of the ESPN-owned ACC network, an ESPN-affiliated ACC team ha- have taken two of the best bowl spots and kicked a Big Ten team down to Fox's only bowl. So now we got broadcast beef. You know, not just conferences are mad about this, but we have you know all of the whatever is left of Fox college football has now been poisoned as well. 
of Fox College football. <laughs> Sorry. Also, this the uh, that red box game that gets the one mad Big Ten team that's most screwed by all this. It's on at the same time as the Music City, so no one's even going to watch it. Michigan State, baby. Michigan State. Nothing would yeah, be more. So, nothing would be better than the Mark D'Antonio retirement game taking place in a bowl <laughs> game that you can't watch. So we're gonna get a, yeah, we're gonna get an eight and four Virginia. You know, Tally would have wanted to go. Yeah, <laughs> an eight and four Virginia will kick an eight and four Michigan State down to the least watched bowl. I have one flaw with your argument, and that is that maybe the ACC network won't operate in that framework because it wasn't designed to amplify the ACC and its fortunes. Well, I mean, my thing maybe- is, it's not even calling the ACC an ACC network a propaganda network. Like, you know, but, but, but here's the thing. What if the ACC network is actually just something Mark Rick's wife started to get him out of the house? <laughs> so uh, my thing is, it's not even about what they're actually doing. Cause what they're actually doing is very cool and fun, right? Yeah. Like they got West Durham. They got our boy West Durham. Mark Rick is awesome on air. Um, it's about, it's about just the, the, the humor the of the perception. Oh, right, is all. Right, That's all I'm right. saying. If you haven't, if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, you should. You should go and do that. And uh, Stephen Godfrey basically spent his self-appointed assignment during the Florida Miami game was just watching Mark Richt sort of wander and not know what to do with his hands or brain during uh, the entire ACC like coaches room version of that game. It's very <laughs> charming. The ACC network. We want to um, come into the broadcast booth and broadcast an ACC event. So you can prove your objectivity by letting us do that because we are the most objective analysts. Does it does it matter that Spencer has Georgia Tech ties? No, I mean uh, he he will have to be. Uh, yes, he will have to be. Um, he cannot. That he has too much skin in the game. <laughs> far, far <laughs> too much. A, a a year and a half for a master's lots degree. And there, lots of skin flaps. Yeah, I think. Our deal's going to be a really, well, I think a good offer for them, right? We will drive ourselves yeah. to Charlotte. Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, so okay, you don't yeah. have to pay for that. Uh, we'll pay for our own hotel. We're going to stay with a friend. That's fine. We'll sleep in the car. We don't even need it to be football, to be clear. Like, I think almost any sport is on the table, right? Will they let us do a pit? Oh, yeah. I, we're aiming way lower than football. Uh, okay, good. No, come on. They'll let us do a pit game. I don't yeah, think that, they will. That's not football. Can you just imagine us chanting, put Pitt in? Or just being the biggest For... Pitt homers imaginable and having at least like seven Wake Forest fans become enraged at how... I'd like to cancel my subscription! <laughs> to the ACC Network. <laughs> These bad. lunatics are talking about Pitt as the greatest football team of our time. I they were yelling my dick after they yelled put Pitt in. <laughs> Yeah, when we say like uh, when we talk propaganda, you know, no, it's 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 going to be a normal conference network until we get on. That's when the actual propaganda begins. Sure. Can I do all the good propaganda cues too? Like some people say, Pitt's the greatest football team of all time. Many people are saying. Many people are saying it. You hear it more and more. More and more, they come up to me and say, "Sir, Pitt, it's so good. <laughs> the biggest Pitt." Um, my, my storyline, and I struggled with how exactly to phrase it, but I think I landed on the one that feels cleanest to me. I think a 10 win team is slumbering in the big 10 West college football's, uh, division that has gone the longest without putting a team in the college football playoff or before that the BCS championship. Nobody currently in the big 10 West is projected to win even nine games. Nebraska's got the highest that I found with an eight and a half. Wisconsin's at eight. Iowa's at seven and a half. I think Minnesota's at seven. But I think, and I have no reason to believe this, and I'm just choosing to chain myself to the weird mast that is the Big Ten West. I think there is one team, and I don't know which one it is, amongst this group that is going to have a surprisingly good season. And probably in the process, fuck something up for somebody else. I don't know if that's Iowa beating a, like, Iowa State team that looks like it could have one of its best seasons in years. I don't know if this is one of these teams knocking off um, Michigan or Penn State. 
and and again, no idea which one it is. I just feel very like I have this feeling that somebody in the Big Ten West is going to be a ten game winner this year. Ten, that's it. Yeah, I, that doesn't. Again, I think if no, only I, there were some kind of mnemonic device we could use. Did you actually mean twelve, Ryan? <laughs> Let's no, can can we go eleven? Can you give me ten prior to the conference championship game? Mm, I want a Big Ten West team with, uh, like queasy playoff hopes, where they're like, Ooh, we could make it, guy. but do we really want to? I look, I, ten or more accomplishes that. Okay, if we're calling and it if 10 somebody, plus. if somebody is, yeah, 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 I'm not saying they're going to hit ten right on. Like if if somebody hits eleven, I just cash, want you to aim fine. as high as you can. I think I think ten is reasonable, considering that there is nobody who is clearly in the stratosphere right now, and that I want to I want it I want to believe that this will work, and I don't need like all of these teams to enter October already with two losses and be like, well, fuck, all right, good job, me. <laughs> I'm gonna be so damn mad if you make a ten win Northwestern team happen with this. <laughs> oh, man. So mad. Northwest yeah. ten. As a Medill grad, that Hashtag. will infuriate me because it will distract from our academic excellence. The only team that I am confident won't do this, Illinois. Yeah, I am not at all worried about Illinois being it. The other, the other six teams in the division, like it's, it maybe seems feasible. I do need Illinois to lose all of its games, basically. Though Illinois, yeah. if you fuck this up for me, I'm going to be really pissed. Yeah, you need them to be uh, West Rutgers. Yes, which they are. They pretty much are in many years. Yeah. So, have you looked at Nebraska's schedule? Because I think it'll get you up to eleven. I think it's possible, but you know oh, they've got. Hey, where are my manners? Happy Scott Frost week, everybody! Happy hey, Scott, happy, Scott happy, Scott Scott happy Scott Frost! Happy Scott Frost month! Yeah, um, Frost month! Yeah, I, Nebraska's got a Nebraska's got a shot at it. Um, Scott Temper. Wisconsin's Wisconsin schedule is not like crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, Wisconsin hit did twelve recently, so maybe you right. should maybe you should go for twelve. Listen, stop trying to goad me into this, bro. bro the, Wisconsin, wait, what Wisconsin's is the cutoff like, point for for ten wins? Is it like bowls and everything? No, I'm saying I'm saying at the end. So, like, if you look at their helmet schedule, I'm just saying the okay. regular season. So, it doesn't count if they make the conference championship game, but they only have nine. I don't get it. They have to win ten regular season games. Okay, good. How, I like it. How delighted would you be if for the next five years under Paul Chris? Wisconsin only put up win totals of six or 12. That's <laughs> <laughs> how we do it, bro. We, it's like, we, uh, we don't break them up. It's like, it's just bulking and bulking and cutting. Yeah. It's just bulking and cutting. Yeah. I got to take it down to a six pack next, next week, next year though. I'm going <laughs> for the 12. The, that, that's the new term for, uh, yeah. We, a uh, bowl eligibility. Bowl, <laughs> yeah, we, got, we got a six pack. That's of, it. Yeah. Bubbies. What are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to stay bowl eligible, but you know, Tomorrow night, might be getting a 12-er. Might be going for the gold championship. So when I'm cranky, uh, I don't know, in five weeks, you all are free to remind me it's because I chose to care about every team except, again, Illinois in the Big Ten West. Also, you're moving in the middle of a football season. Shh, nobody knows that yet. Oh, cool. There is a very possible scenario here where, like, halfway through the season, I'm like, okay, got a couple teams in the mix, and they all shot each other. Cool. Somehow Iowa and Nebraska beat each other twice. <laughs> it's, that, it's that NFC North schedule. That's if if Iowa and Nebraska played each other twice, you wouldn't blink, right? I don't think it would. No, it would be on the schedule, and it'd be three weeks after they played the last time, and nobody would. Gus Johnson would be like, "Gus Johnson here, playing for the first time this year. We've got Iowa and Nebraska." One of the New Mexico schools is playing Liberty twice this year, yeah. so like, why not? Why not? Uh, Wake Forest and UNC are playing a non-conference game. There are no rules. There are no rules. Did you see that North Carolina is trying to start a new tradition? Yeah. Where'd they come up with that one? Mm-hmm. Of lighting the tower in the color mm. of the university. Hmm. Who's their head coach? That'd be Mac Brown. <laughs> you know, in an entirely original Wait, thought what? that I had. Like his son? No, no, the the unretired Mac Brown, like his idiot nephew. No, no, like actual Mac Brown. Yeah, like the former uh, the former player from like like uh, ten years ago, right? God, please let his son in law like accidentally level the tower at UNC trying to light it blue. I'm just concerned that he's going to be like snow blind, putting on all that blue at once. 
I'm excited for him to like try to start a hook of horns, but you have to like curl your fingers. <laughs> oh, ram horns. <laughs> ram horns. I feel like the statute of limitations has run out to the point where uh, a brand new Longhorn Network staffer once uh, was trying to get Mac Brown set up for an interview, and he refused to acknowledge this woman's presence in the room as she was like trying to get him fitted with a microphone and whatnot because it was dead of winter and she had a red scarf on. And he was like, he was like the opposite of a bull. Like he ignored her like a toddler until someone came up to her from Texas and was like, and she took off the scarf and he's like, well, hello. And then acted like he was friendly. <laughs> like she just materialized. As yes. As the scarf yes. It's been long enough now. And, and, and I think everybody involved in that particular situation has moved on, but yeah, man. Oh God. The ramp. You can see now why I was never a fighter pilot. <laughs> Those are still NC State colors, so we still got Ryan. I've tried Jesus to do the ram God. hand sign. I think I've given myself a cramp. It hurts. It hurts this a hand lot. sign sucks. The ram. Let's make it a thing. The ram the, cramp. The, the cramp. You can't spell ram without cramp. Cramp them. Cramp them. <laughs> cramp them rams. So cramp humid them here. Oh God. I got the, the heel cramps. The ram horn network would be incredible, is because you know that one. One show could just be Jerry Stackhouse beats the shit out of people. That's it. Just Jerry Stackhouse handing out two pieces to random people in Kidston, North Carolina. Let's roll, y'all. Anyway, whenever anything goes wrong with... Whenever anything goes awry with UNC this season, and it will, we just blame Mac Brown's lack of object permanence. How am I supposed to function as a head coach without a TV network devoted to my Please team? don't leave me alone with all this food. <laughs> I, I, I tend to bloat. Hi, I'm Amanda Clute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. And I am Daniel Janine, a producer here at Eater. And we are here to tell you about our brand new podcast, Eater's yeah, Digest. Every week on the show, we dive into the weirdest, funniest, and most important stories in the world of food. With the inside scoop from the biggest names in the industry and expert insights from the Eater Newsroom. Uh, it's a really fun time, so I would say subscribe to Eater's Digest for free today on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Hey, I'm Jason Del Rey, and I'm hosting a new podcast, Land of the Giants. Season one is called The Rise of Amazon. And it's about how Jeff Bezos turned what was a little online bookseller into one of the biggest companies of our time. We'll ask, why is Amazon building microwaves powered by Alexa? And why is it making all these robots? And we'll tackle the biggest question of our time. Is Amazon too big, too powerful? Land of the Giants from Recode and the Vox Media Podcast Network. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Listen and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app.